If you have a Bible, I want you to open it. I know we put it on the screen, but I think it's just really, really good for us to um, to see. This is this is the the Lord and His Word, and uh, isn't just like my thoughts or my points or what I think is would be good for us to talk about. But actually, the goal and the desire here is to unpack the the truth of Scripture. So that's what I want to do this morning. Um, how many of you have been kind of journeying with us this week? through 40 days of transformation, whether it be the blog or the podcast or um, the email. Um, I, I really hope you are, and if you haven't been, I would just encourage you to kind of jump in. Uh, maybe you didn't know it, but we're posting all the content audio, so you can be in your car driving and just, you know, uh, tap the audio and listen to it. Um, but uh, I'm just excited about the, the journey that the Lord's taking us on, and so I want you to be a part of that. Um, here's what we're doing this morning. Um, we're in Luke 18. And we spent the last couple weeks unpacking Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, and really what we learned in Romans 12, 1 and 2 um, is, if you remember the, the verse that says, do not conform to this world. So conforming being this like your tendency. This is kind of what I naturally tend to do. Um, my surroundings, my environments kind of push me in a direction. And so I tend to just follow suit. Um, do not conform to this world, but be transformed. That's this whole, the whole point here. That's the whole point of hopefully your being here today is that you came with the hope of, God, I, I want to be changed. Because um, that's God's hope and that's God's heart. And so in Romans 12, 2, we see that transformation and change isn't so much just a, hey, I'm going to go through a 40-day journey and in the end I'm going to be changed. But more so, it's humbling our hearts before the Lord and letting him do what only he can do. Because one of the things we're going to talk about is that change requires heart, the heart. Transformation requires the heart. In order for the heart to be changed, like, you really can't do anything apart from going to God and humbling yourself. And so, um, then the next several weeks, so we spent so much time uh, unpacking Romans 12 too, and over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at several different stories about transformation. And so this morning, we're in this parable um, with the Pharisee and the tax collector. And so I want to journey with that, journey in that, because what we're going to see off the bat, and you just heard Matt read it, is that Jesus is targeting those who tend to trust in themselves. Anybody out there trust? Any of you guys trust, tend to trust in yourself? Can I go about your day? I think I, I, think I got this. I think, how, like, how are we, we going to mastermind this problem? Well, um, all of us do that. Um, and that's what Jesus wants to combat. Let's, uh, let's look at the parable together. It says, uh, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Like, you probably don't tend to trust in yourself if you know you're just going to ruin everything, right? But where we tend to trust in ourselves is where we think we know the answer. We think we can come up with, with the right solution. But here's the dangerous part, is that it says, and treat others with contempt. Here's one of the things that we're going to see as we journey through this passage, is that what follows close behind a life that trusts self is a life that in some regard will eventually treat others with contempt and disregard them. So we're going to look at uh, two individuals Pharisee and a tax collector. It says two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. Now, um, 
all of us, um, we're going to look at the, this Pharisee and what, like, what were the tendencies of a Pharisee? What were the tendencies of a tax collector? Um, all of us have tendencies. Um, like, did anybody get on the highway to come here uh, today? Uh, maybe, maybe a few of you had to get on the highway. Maybe if you did um, and you don't and you live in North County, then maybe we should probably talk. Um, Anyway, um, but some of you just have the tendency, um, you don't like, like get in your car and you say, I'm going to go and I'm going to drive in the fast lane. And my mission is to tick off a bunch of people when I drive slow in the fast lane. No, like you just have the tendency to kind of drift to the left and disregard the common courtesy of driving, right? Okay. Um, Maybe it's leaving the toilet seat up, like you don't wake up in the morning thinking like, I'm going to tick off my spouse, and um, I know, like, you just have the, like, just kind of the natural inclination, here's what I do, here's kind of where I go, right? Like, um, like I tend to drink too much coffee, I don't necessarily wake up in the morning thinking, I'm going to drink too, well, most of the time I don't wake up in the morning thinking, I'm going to, I just kind of have the tendency, just naturally, here's where I'm going, here's what I'm going to do, um, any arguers in the room? Okay, if you're an arguer, my guess is you don't wake up in the morning thinking, I'm going to own every conversation today. Um, anybody uh, says anything I disagree with, gosh, I'm going to dominate them, and I'm going to push back, and here's my strength. No, you just have the tendency to argue. You just have the tendency to defend your view, to defend your point. All of us have tendencies like, Kids, what do they do? They, they get up and they play and they, I don't think they get up and they're like, oh, we're going to destroy the house and get out all the toys and make a mess when we eat. Maybe they do, I don't know. I think they do. When they get older. When they get older, Jake, you guys conspire against mom and dad. But all of us have tendencies, like leanings that apart from really the work of God and a focused effort, um, we're just, this is kind of our bent, this is kind of where we're going. Here's the amazing thing about this morning, is that all of us have tendencies that God wants to redeem. All of us have like, just like, natural things that like, just apart from the transforming power of God, like they just go, we just go off the road. And God's like, I have the power. We're going to look at a story today of God transforming just natural tendencies and drawing them into his presence. Because here's what a tendency is, an inclination toward a particular characteristic or type of behavior. They're not conscious choices. It's just kind of where you lean. It's how, it's what Romans 12, 2 said. It's, it's conforming. Just kind of the tongue, just kind of going with where I go. Now, two kinds of tendencies I want to look at today. I want to look at the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, the Pharisee, if you know much about them, they were incredibly, incredibly, incredibly devout religious people. Um, they loved God. I'm talking about the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Love God. And they wanted more than anything to honor him and do his will, so much so that they would, um, their tendency was to overemphasize their effort and their work to build up their righteousness in a way that God will look down upon them and, and, and think, wow, look how amazing you are. Now, God wouldn't do that, but that's what they're thinking. That was their tendency. They made rules to help them keep rules. And here's the thing is, they were very critical of others. 
right? Um, like, look, um, look, at the, look at the Pharisee in, in our passage. Look at what it says. Um, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Okay, so I want you to notice a couple things from that passage. Like, the Pharisee, what is he doing? He's standing by himself. So he's not coming to a corporate gathering. He's kind of alone. Like that's the tendency with, with, with pharisaical, judgmental people. Is they tend to be separatists and they tend to kind of look upon others with contempt. And with like, a, well, you should, like if you just lived like me, then you'd really have the approval of God. That was their tendency. Now, it's not, not to say that all of them did this. not to say that all of their righteousness was like their own like, look at me and like, but that was their tendency. That was their leaning. That's where they would tend to end up. Okay, um, and he, notice what this Pharisee does is he goes before God acting like a defense lawyer. He's pleading his case, and probably more so, I wonder if he kind of had a mirror in front of him because he's really more talking about himself than anything else because you notice in the passage, what, is, what word does he use a whole lot? I. Here's a test. Listen to yourself. Not too much. But listen to yourself and your conversations you have with people and how, see how often you use the word I or my or me. Okay. He's, all, he's just talking about, he's self-exalting. Here's his attitude. God is so fortunate to have me. I'm such an asset to the kingdom of God. And the truth is that God doesn't need any one of us. None of, none of us are God's key asset in a sense that he's like, if, if I lose you, like, like we got to scurry up in the heavens to figure out like how we're going to keep this thing going. No, but he does use us. Even in our wretchedness and even in our self-righteousness, he uses us. But he doesn't need us. This Pharisee saw transformation as his own work, his own effort, his own, look at me, look at what I do. We'll look at those things in a second. All these things that I do, how amazing I am. But he knew nothing of petition and and asking of God. He knew nothing of humility. He knew nothing in, in this specific story of the holiness and even the perfection of God that would that would make him shudder in God's presence or understand the work that God would do. Now, here's the thing is, at the heart of the gospel is the reality that we be people that are changed. Like you can't, we can't this morning talk about the gospel or ever talk about the gospel without including the fact that God in his gospel is doing a, a work of change, right? And so like, so think about it. The, the essence of the gospel is that you're, you were dead, if you're a Christian, you were dead in your sin and God made you alive, right? That's, that's transformation. That's change. Okay, the essence of the gospel is that you were separated from God, alienated from God, damned to hell. And what happened? God, through the gospel, transformed you and said, you're mine. You have acceptance. You have access. You are mine. So here's the thing. Is that the core of Christianity is transformation. It's change. 
But I think there's some things that we can see in this passage that can really stifle transformation. So let's look at the Pharisee first. The Pharisee. Um, two things I want to look at with the Pharisee that I think really stifled um, and has the tendency to stifle transformation in our, in our lives. The first one is, is comparison. So he's in there praying, and what is he doing? He's basically comparing himself to everybody else, and he's comparing himself to this tax collector, as he says it. Now, if you're a human being, which I hope you are, I think you are, you are. If you're a human being, you wrestle with this, comparison. Anybody not wrestle with comparison? Like, looking around, like, how am I measuring up? Like, how many Twitter followers do I have? Okay, so I just don't get this whole, like, thing in social media where there's these, like, like apps or add-ons or here's the trick to get more followers. Like maybe if you're a business, but if you're just an individual and you're trying to, pers- okay, that's a whole comparison thing. Anyway, I need to stop because that's not even in my notes. Um, but e- even from the beginning, what do we see? We see Adam and Eve and what do they do? They compare themselves to God. And they say, we want to be like God. And then they compare themselves with like, here's all that we have, but here's the, the little bit we don't have. And it just went haywire, went out of control. Um, a buddy of mine recently defined com- um, comparison this way. He said, comparison is an assumption of sovereignty. Did you write that down? Comparison is an assumption of sovereignty. Because here's what comparison is doing. It's taking ourselves and putting ourselves in the position of God. It's taking us, when we compare ourselves, we're putting ourselves in the place of God, and we're becoming God. We're, we're beginning to evaluate, well, here's who I should be, and here's where I should be. Um, and really, when, when we begin to compare, here's what we do. We lose all power to be transformed. Because we succumb to our own fleshly strength and frail effort to change and to become whatever we're comparing ourselves to. Okay? Um, and, and notice what he says this tax collector? Like when he's standing there praying, he's like, and thank you that I'm not like this tax collector, right? Like the epitome of derogatory. Right? If ever, I mean, and let's just, let's just be honest about how often the world views the church like that. Can we just be honest about that? Like, how often the world thinks that we view the world like they're gonna get us dirty. Incredibly derogatory. Kids do this, right? How come I didn't get this? Or how come I didn't get that? Or how come she got this? Or how come she got that? Like, we do that at work. Like, how come they got the raise? I didn't get the raise? Like, it's not fair. But we base fairness on what's going on with others and not so much on God. And you want to talk about fairness with God, then that's going to be a problem because that just lands us in hell. God's fair. But only God is the standard. Now, Now, there is good comparison. Let's just not throw comparison under the bus. Entirely, right? Um, there is good comparison. Uh, there's comparison in the sense that helps us be motivated, that helps us grow and learn and be challenged. Like in business, if you're going to run a business, there's a sense where you've got to kind of know your competition. You have to kind of know um, your audience and how can we make a better product and how can we... Um, now, there's a sense even in business where that can become what? Very self-inflating and all about money and all about me. Or it can become a, hey, let's, 
compare for the sake of how can we serve humanity better? How can we serve the world better? How can we serve the Lord better? Um, we do this in athletics. Um, there's no doubt that the coaches, uh, in preparation for the Super Bowl today, were comparing their team with the other team, right? It wasn't like, a, well, here's where I think we're strong, and we're just going to go out there and, and do this. And No, they're like, here's our strength, and here's, compared to their weaknesses, and here's where we can win, right? So, comparison. We look to mentors. We look to role models. Um, we, we want to grow. We want to find areas of our lives that we can go. There's a, there's a holy discontentment. There's a, there's a sense where comparison can be good, like in Matthew 5, 16, the Sermon on the Mount. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So think about that a second. That's a, that's a picture of comparison, that someone would look at you and compare who you are to them, but what would happen? What would be the result? Very different than the, than the Pharisee. The result would be the glor- glorification of God, not the glorification of self. Not the glorification of self. In Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. So there's a comparison, right? Like we're comparing us with the Pharisees. And it says, unless your righteousness, unless how you live your life exceeds that. Okay, when Matthew uses the word righteousness, oftentimes it's talking about outward living in this instance. So unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, where your outward living comes from a pure heart, because it didn't for the Pharisees. Their outward living came from a self-righteous heart. And the cause that it come from a pure heart. But comparison, it's it's evil. It's wicked. It's, it's, it can be very detrimental and very dangerous. Why? Because Why do we do it? Because we assume sovereignty. We assume that we need to be God. We want to build our own Bible, so to speak. And here's the thing. We don't trust that God could love us. So there's an insecurity where it's like, ah, I don't trust that God knows what he's doing with my life. I don't trust that he knows where he has me. I don't trust that he knows me in this tragedy and this difficulty. Why, why do I have to go through this and they don't have to go through that? If you want to compare yourself, compare yourself with 1 Timothy 1.15, like the Apostle Paul when he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Um, but the second thing, look at verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Okay, what is that talking about? This Pharisee is conforming to a religious system. Okay, how do I know that? Because you can see it with his heart. Right? I mean, he's like, I'm awesome. My obedience and my righteousness is awesome. I do all these different things. Like, I mean, any of you, like, I followed everything on 40 Days of Transformation for the first week. Like, I am awesome. Right? Here's, here's, the, here's the problem with that. Here, let me define conformity for you. Religious activity void of heart transformation. So you can go through every single thing we do, 40 days of transformation, and, and then take it deeper and follow the hashtags and do your own study. Um, but listen, if our hearts aren't changed in the journey, then who cares? Like, who 
cares? If you come to church here week in and week out and, our, and your heart isn't changed, I'm like, why are you here? Like, if there's not a genuine, God, do a work in me. God, I want to experience you. God, I want to be changed. If you don't listen, if you don't want to be changed, then you don't know the gospel because at the heart of the gospel is a God who transforms and is continuing to transform you more and more and transform me more and more into his image. Go, Go to the scriptures. See if you can find a command that's given that pulls out heart transformation. Where Jesus says, go do this, and I don't really care about your heart in it. No, every single thing, whether it's Bible intake or prayer or evangelism or repentance or fasting or serving or tithing or coming to church, all of them have at their core that we would be changed. Don't lose sight of that. Jesus is always, always, always coming after our hearts, which we don't like, right? Because it's like, whoa, 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 hold up. Like, I don't like that. Can we just do this external thing and then I can kind of do this own thing? And the Lord's like, no, because I care about the, the deepest essence of who you are. I don't care about your outward external. I care about your inward like you put on this front and act like a certain way and act like everything's okay. It's like, I want to change the core of who you are. Now, let's look at the tax collector. Um, tax collectors um, were considered pretty, pretty grotesque people. Um, probably uh, we could, we could uh, compare them with like kind of modern day terrorists. Um, if you really study what a tax collector was, um, as a person who, li- they made a living by exploiting others. Um, they ran after the weak. They had a tendency to be dishonest, and they sought to live a life that was just all about distortion and evil. Okay? And, and that was like their natural tendency. And here's the thing about tax collectors is like they knew they were, they knew they were wicked. They knew they were evil. And honestly, where um, there's a sense of dishonesty about it, so there's a sense where they were hiding it. Um, but that's the crazy thing about um, where Jesus oftentimes puts with tax collectors the word sinner. Okay? Um, but when we look at this passage, what do we see? We see that the tax collector is actually closer to, to, to getting into the kingdom of God than the Pharisee because the tax collector knows he's not okay. I'll get, get, more, get to that more in a, in a second. Um, look at verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other one, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So I want you to notice some things about, um, about tax collectors. Um, they, they, there's a sense where, at least to this tax collector, he knew his wretchedness, um, whereas Pharisees always thought they kind of had it all together. But notice this tax collector, um, he barely gets in the door of the temple. Barely gets in the door. He feared that God wouldn't accept him. 
right? Because he knew how wretched he was. He knew how wicked. He knew how much of an extortioner he was. And what does he do? He looks to the ground. Can't even look up as if to look to God. He can't even look up. And he pleads for God's mercy. Do you know what he's doing when he says, be merciful to me, a sinner? Is he saying, God, appease your wrath. Don't treat me as I deserve. I mean, even apart from his words, we see humility and contrition. We see, we see that in his posture. Like the psalmist, in, like David in Psalm 51, pleading for forgiveness. I think, that, I think there's two things that I just want to point out that I think position us to be transformed that we learn from this tax collector. Now, every tax collector isn't humble. As we talk about in a second, humility, every tax collector isn't honest. The definition of tax collector is that you're dishonest. Right? But when we see here the transforming work of how God transformed the tendencies of this sinful human being was what? Was he did it through his power he did it through his spirit. Notice what it says in verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. That's humility. Humility. Now, here's the crazy thing is that in order for something to change, we ought to be honest about the need for it to change. Um, but this position of humility, this tax collector comes and he knows there's an issue. There's a problem. And I believe you can be a Pharisee who's unbelievably righteous, does all the good boy, good girl things for God, and yet in the end say, God, you never, God can say, depart from me, you never knew you. And there can be a tax collector who's unbelievably wretched and unbelievably wicked. And in the end say, God, apart from, or God or depart from me, I never knew you. But here's the thing. Here's what I firmly believe is that the tax collector oftentimes is closer to gaining access to the kingdom of God than the Pharisee. Here's why. Um, let, me, let me use this illustration. Uh, so the other day, uh, yesterday, I went outside and I was like, where's Danny? He was supposed to be getting in the car. The car was running. It's cold outside. He's behind the car at the exhaust pipe. And he's down like this. And here's the exhaust pipe, like this far from his face. And he's just like, Daddy, look. I'm like, buddy, come here. Like, get away from that. And so I just began to explain to him, like, what that is and what it does and blah, 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 blah. And, um, and, He'll do it again tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, we did as kids, right? Um, but he, he, here's why. Here's why carbon monoxide is dangerous. It's because you you don't know there's a problem until it's too late, right? Okay, so take the the Pharisee and the tax collector. Like the tax collector knows there's a problem. Like, it's a, it's a pre-announced tsunami coming. I'm wretched. I'm wicked. God doesn't accept who I am and how I live. Like a tsunami that's pre-announced. This is coming. It's going to destroy me. Okay, versus the self-righteous. I, I think I'm good. 
And before you know it, you're in your bed in your house and you left your car running and the garage door down and you're dead. And you didn't even know it. Like that, that's the difference. That's the illustration that I think compares the two. And what we see here is that as, as for most of us as church people, we've got to be so, so careful not to attach our righteousness to what we do. But see our identity in Christ and out of that identity, what we're doing in these 40 days, press into who he is. Not for his acceptance, but from his acceptance. Here's what the tax collector does here in this passage, is he's putting to death his inner defense attorney. Notice when he goes to God, he's not like, like trying to justify all of his wretched actions. He's just like, God, I'm a mess. Mess. Be merciful to me. You don't treat me as my sins serve. He doesn't plead his case. He just says, I'm wicked. Let me just tell you this this morning, is that God does amazing things through wretched people who are honest about their wretchedness and want to see God change it. Like, like look at David. Like, does it ever baffle, baffle you, King David, like, that he's, like, awed as this amazing man for God's own heart? He, like, murdered somebody and committed adultery and was incredibly deceptive at times. Yet what does he do? That dude's broken. Psalm 51, go read it. He's broken. He's wretched. Prostrates himself before the Lord. That's humility. Now, don't confuse humility and self-loathing. Like if you have a tendency to self-loathe, because here's the thing, pride is what actually takes the Pharisee and hinders transformation for the Pharisee. But where we begin to think that humility and self-loathing are the same, actually self-loathing is pride. Because it's still making a God out of us and still making a God out of our situation. Right? Like, look at me and look how bad this is and look how awful this is and look how awful I am. Like, oh, aren't you so humble? No, you're just as prideful as the person who just always talks about themselves. Don't confuse the two. Self-loathing is this, this, like, I'm not good enough. Well, yeah. Jesus came to die, because that's true. We know that. But Jesus now says you're good enough. He's rescued you. He's called you. He's saved you. If you're a believer in Christ, and humility is simply saying, I'm just honest about who I am. Just completely honest about who I am. And you don't, you aren't paralyzed by the realities. Because here's the thing. The reality of sin and running to God should never really paralyze us because we're going to a God who's hopeful, who can change us, who can bring hope to broken situations. But look at verse 13. What does the tax collector do? Standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's, second thing, he's honest. He doesn't think he's better than anybody. He knows he's wretched. He knows the situation. He knows he needs to be cleaned up. He knows he needs to be changed. He doesn't try to justify or self-justify. He knows who he is. But, But listen, this is huge. If you don't hear anything I say today, I think this is probably one of the most important things that I'll say. When he says, be merciful to me, a sinner. Listen, for the believer, sinner is never an identity. It's always the enemy of identity. 
Okay, and I think, like, as we talk, we, we talk in this church a lot about brokenness and our sin and our wretchedness and a lot of open confession and just, we're just broken, jacked up people. Okay, but we got to be so careful to not frame that as an identity, but to realize that that wretchedness and that wickedness is an enemy of who God saved us to be. Okay, so be careful, like, when, when you off, like, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Yeah, you're a sinner, but you're, you're saved, and you're called into the kingdom of God. You're his. He says you have full access. Now, sinner is part of the road of redemption, and part of the road of transformation is that we screw it up all the time. And that's an enemy to our identity, but praise God that he journeys with us in that to bring salvation to what's warring against God's good design and his desire. Because this 40 days of transformation is all about us becoming in practice who we already are in God's eyes. Who we already are in God's eyes. We're loved. We're loved children of God. That's our identity. Now sometimes we operate outside of that identity through sin and through awful choices and through unbelief. And God says, those are the things I want to change. Those are the things I want to transform. Uh, Let me just ask this question. Does your honesty paralyze you? Does it paralyze you because you're giving into this enemy of identity rather than realizing that honesty is actually going to propel me into a loving father who accepts me and free me up to find a, a position of hope where God can bring transformation? Because look at verse 14. Look at what he says. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Really? Like the awesome, like look at this guy who fasts all the time. Like who does that? This guy who gives all his money away. Who does that? It's not good enough. Because the only good is a person who realizes they're no good and they need Jesus. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Maybe today the biggest confession you can make is that you have no ability to justify yourself in your own power. Through how much you come to church, or how good of a dad you are, or how good a grade you get, how much you help your neighbor. Apart from the work of Christ... You're done. I'm done. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's that's the journey we're on, is to be people that walk in humility and walk in the gracious acceptance of a loving God who says, I know you sin." a sinner. You're a love child of mine. Isn't that crazy? Like, can we just think about that? Like, it's unbelievable that God would forgive and offer grace. And he says it plain as day. You want to find life? Humble yourself and realize that I'm the only answer and I'm the only hope. I want to pray. 
And I just want to ask that God would transform us on this journey today and that we wouldn't just go through motions. Father, thank you for calling us your children. Father, thank you. It's just incredible that you would forgive such a wretched man that I am, that you would forgive my tendencies to self-loathe, my tendencies to, to not trust you, my tendencies to not love, my tendencies to be angry, my tendencies to fear. And then over and over again, you beckon me into your presence. And you literally say, stop. Stop it. Stop freaking out. Rest in the fact that you are 100% accepted by me. There's nothing that you can do to be more accepted by me. God, thank you. God, I want to be changed. I want to grow more and more into your likeness. God, all of us do. And so I beg that you do that. And that you would lead us to be changed, not for our own glory, but for yours and for our joy. So God, have your way. In Christ's name, amen.